Terry Funk has what's that in his hand? He has that flawed chicken. He's got the chicken. It's a chicken punch. Chicken punch. Oh, Colonel Sanders is rolling over in his grave right now. Terry Funk is using a chicken as a weapon. Well, it can be a very dangerous weapon when you think about Tamala Foodboys. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, how you doing? We have officially crossed into double digits. Here we are, episode number 11. There's no turning back, buddy. We got 41 more to go. I mean, I'm doing fine with the wrestling, Brian, but my biggest concern right now is the cleanliness of the satellite of hate, man. I know a lot of people out there doing spring cleaning right now, and, and so I'm tidying up the satellite a bit, and I just need you to respect my space, man. Like, you are, your your buff Bagwell hat's all over here, your, your Kevin Nash boo-boo is all over on my side. Uh, am I going to have to draw a line down the middle of this this station, like Ricky and Lucy, or, or, or I Love Lucy? Now, Nate, I can feel you getting kind of angry. I, I hear it in your voice. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to ignore this tension because in a couple weeks, this whole satellite's getting rebooted and it doesn't really matter. Uh, and at that point, you know, who's going to be New Blood? Who's going to be Millionaire's Club? I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert when we get to that, that fateful day when everything gets changed and everything old is new again. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go wherever Sting goes. That's, you know, you got to follow your heart in life, Brian, man. And, and so wherever that man called Sting ends up, that's, that's where I'll be. Nate, Nate. I know you always look for a reason to bring up that man called Sting. He's not on this episode. We cannot talk about him yet. We're not jumping the gun. So let's just concentrate on this episode at hand. And here to help us do that, uh, she is a writer, a comedian, and one half of the absolutely hilarious podcast, uh, Marty and Sarah Love Wrestling. Sarah Shockey is here. Sarah, thank you for joining us up here uh, on the satellite. Thank you so much for having me. This is much fancier than I expected. What What do you think of the trash? Do you think it's, I mean, I personally think it's just decoration for the room. I mean, you're seeing FUBU, you're seeing Buff Bagwell. That really gets you in the mindset for WCW 2000. Listen, I'm a woman here. My job is to look good and not get in the way of the action. So I'm not going to give you an opinion on that. <laughs> I noticed you didn't say your job was to clean up. So we are partially a little progressive. I think we're, we're, gonna... we're in 2000. It's not 1996 anymore. <laughs> You are firmly a Murphy Brown, I would say, of this situation. Thank you. What's your relationship with WCW 2000? Uh, were you watching wrestling in 2000? Were you a Nitro fan? Had you watched for? Uh, had you given up on this point? So here's my wrestling deepest secret backstory. My family is very religious, and I was banned from pretty much any enjoyable television for mm. my entire childhood. So why weren't you allowed to watch WCW 2000? Yeah, <laughs> oh, man. All of it was lumped into wrestling, uh, which was just probably bad. You know, my introduction to The Rock was um, The Scorpion King and Saturday Night Live. Oh, no. 
Yeah, I was <laughs> I was so behind. So I uh, this is my first WCW. This is my first Monday Nitro. Um, it's all new to me. And what a ge- what an undiscovered gem, fellas. <laughs> Uh, see now, now, Brian. Like you know, I love when we have visitors up here because it it always sparks inspiration and creativity. Now I, I need you to get Alex Greenfield on the phone because I got a movie idea. It's gonna be like Footloose, but with wrestling. <laughs> like we get a town <laughs> where, where, where the religious leaders don't let the kids watch wrestling, and Vince Russo plays the Kevin Bacon role, <laughs> and he brings wrestling to the youth. Oh, I love it. But it, but instead of all the kids embracing like their inner fun and like letting loose and all their inhibitions going out the window, instead just a year later everyone drops out of high school. <laughs> so so Sarah, I'm curious. You said you only recently like you grew up without this. Most people when they say they like wrestling, it's because they grew up with it. What, what in, in your, in your 20s that, uh, made you decide to watch wrestling for the first time? Well, I was dating a guy who was best friends with a guy whose brother got the network. It was like this long chain of events. And they started watching Raw on Monday nights at this local bar that I really liked going to. So I was still, you know, going to hang out with everybody. And for a couple weeks, I just go and kind of like it was fun background noise. And then there was a night where they were in New York and Dean Ambrose left and got a hot dog cart and yeah. came bursting back in and started beating up Seth Rollins with like ketchup and mustard and relish. And I was like, okay, hold on everybody. I think I'm going to fully throw myself into this. What's going on. And then it just kind of went from there. I started doing like commentary for this like indie company in town. And like, it just, uh, now I've had two wrestling podcasts. It's a whole, uh, snowball effect. <laughs> And and what did you think of doing commentary? Because I know Nate does commentary for like actual legitimate sports, and and I did commentary uh, for a couple shows up here in New York. But uh, what, what, how did you enjoy that? Because I found it to be a pretty uh, unique challenge. It's tiring if you're not careful. I tend to get way excited at the beginning, and then like partway through, I'm like, oh, my hands don't work because I'm not breathing enough oxygen into them. Let's stay on top of that. Um, I was really lucky. I got to come in with uh, my buddy, Zach Thompson, and he and I had performed in comedy improv shows together years ago. So I felt like we kind of knew each other and he knew all the move names, which has kind of made it so that I haven't had to learn any. Right. Um, so all I do is add color and uh, the promoters were like, hey, if you want to talk about like which guys you think are cute, like go nuts. So I'm always like telling about like their nipples and thighs and stuff. I don't know if it's the most like, <laughs> I don't know if it's respectful or appropriate, but I like doing it. Nate, is that the same way that you call uh, high school football games? Yeah, is it? I, I mean, it really is. I, I, I talk about the uh, the appearances of, of the the coaches mainly because anything younger than the coaches would be a little bit creepy. Uh, yeah. And we've all, we've already got one creepy announcer on this show this week, so I don't. <laughs> I don't want to add to that, uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the tried and true tradition, you know. Much like Marv Albert and 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 people of that ilk, John Madden, you know, they they always comment on the attractiveness of these athletes. <laughs> it's good for them. So, Sarah, we've established it in the year two thousand. You weren't watching uh, any wrestling at all. Uh, but let's go ahead and take a look at uh, what was happening elsewhere in the world. Every week, we do our time capsule segment. That's where we look and see what was going on in the news the same week of this episode. And uh, do you guys know what event occurred in Malaysia the day before this nitro? Who I don't. Was Was Malaysia one of Scott Steiner's freaks? <laughs> <laughs> no, very close though. Uh, no, we are talking about uh, Malaysia, the uh, Pacific Island. On March 13th, on the island of 
Pulawatiga, CBS began filming the first season of Survivor. Oh, man, oh, man. You just <laughs> took me right back to a memory because we had just, that summer, we had just moved to a new house in East Lansing, Michigan, and I was in middle school, and I remember seeing advertisements for Survivor and worrying that it was, like, not legal or okay for them <laughs> to abandon those people on that <laughs> island. <laughs> now, were you allowed to watch it? Because I know at the time, this was when... uh Reality TV was just first starting, and my mom was staunchly against it, thought it was bad for society and didn't like where it would take us. And uh, the time has actually proven her to be uh, uh, right. But were you allowed to watch it? Because I did watch it, and I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of the first season. So I was getting around the system of being banned from watching a lot of stuff by having a TV in my room. But mm -hmm. when the TV was in my room and Survivor started, I didn't have cable, so I could get just that channel. So I watched, like, the first episode – to make sure that everybody was okay and that nobody was dying. I don't know what I thought they were doing. Um, and then I didn't stick with it until the finale I watched at my neighbor's house. Gotcha. So you just, you missed weeks and all of a sudden there's a naked guy getting a million dollars. Exactly. And that's kind of how I deal with popular television. <laughs> oh man. I, I love Survivor. I mean, I, I at least, well, I used to love Survivor. Like, the first five seasons, I was all in. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, being a big reality TV fan all the way back to the real world and, and road rules. Mm. Uh, but I, I dug the first season, and, and obviously I was rooting for the black guy. Uh, <laughs> and he didn't win. Uh, nothing, nothing much has changed. You know, reality shows, the, the black guy, much like horror movies, is usually the first one to be eliminated or, or kicked out or, or voted out to leave the house. Uh I yeah, think like Flavor Flav won pretty good a couple years later. Oh. Yeah, Flavor Flav is like the Jackie Robinson of reality TV. <laughs> like he he crossed the threshold that, that that few people of color have been able to attain. <laughs> oh man, that I I Nate, I got to applaud you for saying that because I don't think I could get away with saying that on on the podcast. So That's I, the I'm best thing I've heard all week. <laughs> Do you know a couple years later they originally wanted to do a season of Survivor that was an all black team versus an all white team and they actually aired like three <laughs> episodes and then people protested so they had to like shuffle them up on on like the third episode. <laughs> oh, I think I would have loved that. Like I it would have been Yeah. Oh, uh, like it's it's a, it's a totally terrible idea. Mhm. Mm Especially, you know, back then, obviously it yeah. was, but even now like in 2017, it's still a terrible idea, but I think I would have loved it. It's like a terrible idea for different reasons, depending on what era you're trying to do it in. I think we can all agree this is a tasteless uh, approach to a season of reality television. Uh, a couple years later, Donald Trump would actually pitch that they do a black versus white season of The Apprentice and then didn't understand why NBC didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting what that guy doesn't understand. I know, but thankfully he's turning our country into a black versus white season of The Apprentice. Uh <laughs> if he didn't have it then, he's having it now. <laughs> So that's what's happening in the world. Let's go ahead and dive into the March 13th, 2000 episode of Nitro. Package, I want to apologize for last Wednesday night. I know that Iron came out, made a fool of himself, oh, embarrassed me, made you look bad. And I mean, I want, to, I want you to know that I definitely want to be part of Team Package. In the back, Ric Flair apologizes to Lex Luger for Arn Anderson's behavior on Thunder. Flair reassures Luger that Anderson wants to be in Team Package because Arn is a beat-up pickup truck, while Team Package is a brand-new Ferrari. <laughs> I, was this an accurate uh, vehicle representation of both these men? Because, okay, maybe Arn's a beat-up pickup truck, but Lex Luger in 2000 is, at best, a second-hand Miata. 
Yeah, like in 88, yes, Lex Luger is a Ferrari. You, you know, Lex Luger is a Lamborghini. Lex Luger is a Mercedes-Benz in 88. But by this time in his career, Lex Luger was at best like a, a pre-owned Audi. I don't know. I think he's got muscles that none of us uh, can no. a- aspire to have. I think, you know what, I'm going to give him a little bit of credit here for still having those at this point in his life. Oh, without it. No, he is a showroom Ferrari, but one that can't go above 30 miles an hour. Yeah. And also like kudos for that description, kind of explaining what happened really succinctly. Cause I felt like those promos and whatever they were saying was all over the place. And I really didn't follow it as easily. I was like, you know what? We complain a lot about the scripted promos on WWE. You know, maybe there's a little bit of goodness there when you could understand what they're what they're after, because most of the night was garbled promos for me. Uh, true. And I think we will we'll revisit this at the end of the episode. But that's actually one thing Nate and I kind of like about WCW is that it does feel messy and rough and lived in. Um, and they're not holding your hand so much at sometimes. But at the same time, it does. They get lost sometimes. And, lost and you have no <laughs> idea what, what's going on. Uh, Flair is like the king of not knowing where he is at any given time. Like you see, like he'll be screaming and then his eyes are just darting around the room and you're like, oh, buddy, where are you right now? <laughs> this this is an interesting like iteration of Ric Flair because he's like the sidekick, but he's still a star. Yes. Yep. And so we, we have to buy as viewers like Ric Flair, the nature boy, is playing second fiddle to Lex Luger. And like this whole team package thing never really meshed for me. No, it feels very weird. It feels like everyone's kind of like lazily trying to outdo the others. <laughs> Tony welcomes us to Providence, Rhode Island for tonight's go home show for Uncensored. Flair's All right, music- time out, time out, Brian, time out. Yes. Before before we go any further uh, on, <laughs> on one of our many tangents we like to take <laughs> on, on Keep It 2000, do you know the building that this uh, event took place in? I don't. Was it like the Yum Dunkin' Donuts brand mattress sleep center? <laughs> it, 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 uh, back in 2000, it was the Providence Civic Center, but right okay. now it is the Dunkin' Donuts Civic Center. Oh. And so that leads me to a question, Brian, man, and I'll pose it to you as well as Sarah. You are this uh, New York elitist now and have been for some time. But there are, There's got Dunkin' Donuts s- in Atlanta, okay? But see, you've got Southern Roots, though, and that, that brings me to the question. Yes. Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme? Oh, it's always Krispy Kreme. Like, there's no doubt about it. We have one Krispy Kreme here in New York. Uh, it's in Penn Station, which might as well, you're not going to eat food from there. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, growing up in Atlanta, when I lived in downtown Atlanta, I was right down the street from the big Krispy Kreme that's on North Avenue, and you'd see that hot, you know, all night. It's, it's going to be Krispy Kreme for me all day. Dunkin' Donuts, you have no idea when those donuts are coming out. Krispy Kreme is <laughs> transparent with their neon sign that lets you know, here are the donuts, get on in here. There's one kind, maybe two, and that's what you're going to have, and that's what you're going to like. And you know what? They don't upset my stomach the way that Dunkin' Donuts ones do. Yeah, Krispy Kreme has the hot now sign, whereas I think Dunkin' Donuts has the made today sign. Like that, that, that's yeah, their... which is like you're lucky. Very vague, like sometime today. <laughs> Like I, th- I think Dunkin', like off. they have one uh, kind of variety of donuts that I like. It's like the mm. the donuts with the cake frosting filling, like chocolate, right. vanilla, strawberry, whatever, mm, and the yeah. powdered sugar on top. Like that's good. But other than that, Krispy Kreme all day. Yeah, Krispy Kreme is like we make good donuts, whereas Dunkin' Donuts is like, no, we've got to have sandwiches and we've got to have a a, a pretzel croissant and it, no, like <laughs> we're just... dabbling in little hot dogs now. Get in here. <laughs> <laughs> Ric Flair's music plays, and out comes the Nature Boy. 
To combat his babyface reaction, Ric Flair runs down Providence. Let's cut right to the quick. Here we are. In a God-forsaken part of the world called Providence, Rhode Island. Ric Flair promises that Arn will apologize tonight and join Team Package. This brings out Arn, who enters to the Four Horsemen theme music, the greatest theme song of all time. <laughs> Arn says that it wouldn't be right to join Team Package because it is ego-driven and hell-bent on destruction. Arn says that he would rather end things as friends with Rick than be a crutch for him down the road. Arn then brings out Hulk Hogan to prove his point. Arn then promises the Hulkster that this Sunday, Hogan won't have to look behind his back because he won't be there to help Flair anymore. And with that, Arn heads to the back. Hogan says he's been the man in this business for 20 years, while Flair has always been relying on Arn. Hogan says that this is Hulk country and he doesn't want to wait until Sunday. Hulk rushes the ring and no-sells some chops before landing a weak-ass boot to the face of Rick. <laughs> Luger then runs down and lays out Hogan with the bat. Flair and Luger double-team Hogan as Madden says, whip it good. Mm -hmm. This was half of a very good segment. Uh, I would say everything pre-Hulk Hogan, uh, once he decided to show up for the go-home show to a pay-per-view build he hasn't been around for. Arn Anderson is just so damn good, Nate. Like, why aren't we using Arn Anderson more? You can put him in the middle of even the worst situation. He had to uh, remedy the Benoit loss. He, uh, yep. he has to remedy this. It, he is just this solid Band-Aid who can just... Get in and just fill in the cracks in such a great way. Yeah, the, the word that comes to mind whenever Arn shows up on one of these night shows is earnest because there's something real about Arn that stands out on this show. And uh, I think that they really underutilized Arn. Like, I, I know when we did review an impact, our running joke slash fantasy was that Mike Tanay would be brought in as a commissioner. And I think... It would have solved all Nitro's problems in 2000, but I think if you had Arn Anderson as the commissioner that could kind of explain things and and set out the storylines in a way that the viewer could comprehend, I think that a lot of these convoluted angles and convoluted segments would be made better just by the presence of Arn Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was when he was out, I was more understanding of what was happening. But if you let Ric Flair talk too long, then I get lost again. We then go to the best long-term program in this company as Ricky Rackman is seen at this past yes. weekend's Nitro party at Brown University. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, you heard me right. An Ivy League Nitro party was had. Now what do we have going on here? We've got Disco Inferno losing at pool, playing the guy from three count. We've got the other guy from three count, Evan Courageous, is hanging out with Nitro girls. Look at this. Evan always with the ladies. What would you think of this Nitro party? Did it seem like something you'd uh, want to sneak outside of your Christian household to go to in the year 2000? Uh, no, but it seemed like something that I want to see, like, the parts of the Nitro party where they're not making it fun for the camera. Because I feel like that <laughs> party would be so lame. And then it's like they come back like, oh, we're all having fun. And... They sprinkled that party with like a bunch of middle-aged people where they like put all the 20-something girls at the front, but you can't help but see in the background there's like a bunch of like older people that are just kind of there in the dark and it was it was so weird and I can't stop thinking about if they were doing like WWE Raw and SmackDown parties like who would have to go do it and I was like, "Oh man, they would totally make JoJo do these." <laughs> Oh, see, that Sarah Sarah's got me thinking now because I I always liked these as the listeners know. Like I was a fan of these back in two thousand, and even though they they're corny now, I still think it's a cool concept. But now I want to see like closing time at the Nitro party, like that 
mad dash to try to find a connection. Like yeah. all these desperate people just trying to push Disco Inferno out of the way so they can make a love connection. That's what I want to see. Yeah, I just I couldn't stop thinking about all the like interpersonal things that were going on and like also this poor host that just has to be like, yeah, well, I guess this is uh, this is happening. He was MTV, right? He was an MTV guy. He co-hosted Love Line with uh with Adam Carolla. Or uh, okay. Dr. Drew, right? Was that who it was? Yeah, doc, yeah Dr. Yeah. Drew. Wasn't allowed to have that in my house. Oh no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Trainers attend to Hogan in the back as Jimmy Hart tells him to visit the hospital. I'm serious. Come on now. You've got to go get checked out. Right here. Come on, fellas. Please listen to him. Come on. Back in the arena, hardcore champions three count come out for a musical performance that was cut from the network. Their opponents for the evening are the Young Dragons. Yes, the Young Dragons who who have Kaz Hayashi, who I've already said on this podcast, was like for one month in 2000. The greatest professional wrestler in the history of the world. Yeah. Uh, we 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 got my man uh, Jimmy Wang Yang, and then of course we've got the ever so Asian Jamie Noble. Yep. <laughs> Did you know one of these guys was an Asian, by the way, Sarah? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I was aware of that. <laughs> uh, Jamie Noble, not the most Asian name I've ever heard in my life. The dragons run into the ring and things start off fast. Uh, these guys actually had a pretty good match and maybe the Dude, best. I love you- this match. It was really good. And this is probably the best use of three count we've seen so far. Uh, there's loud three count chance as Evan and Jimmy Yang uh, trade spots in the ring. Kaz hits a spinning cross body to Shannon on the floor, which sets off a domino effect of every dude in the match doing a dive to the floor. Uh, back in the ring, everyone just starts hitting top rope elbow drops. And in the chaos, Shannon pins Jamie following a sleep cutter as described by Madden. So yeah, this was this was a fun match. And again, the probably the best use of three count, even though they're hardcore champs, we're not seeing any dumb shit with Knobs or Finley. This worked, and these guys all had chemistry. And yeah, maybe they worked a little too fast, but for 2000 uh, Cruiserweight action, this was damn good. This was the point in the night where I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to enjoy this. I'm having a great time. And um, <laughs> then the night continued. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really I really dug this match, Brian. I, actually, I could have used a couple more minutes of it. Yeah. Because uh, they were working a really fast pace, and the ending it, it kind of came out of nowhere for me. So I, I could have used a little bit more of this. Uh, I'm, I'm always a fan of the young dragons. I think they are again, like this will be a running theme. I think on this show, one of these groups that were underutilized in WCW at this time. And there you can see, man, there's so much potential with, with these guys as well as three count uh, that I, I don't think they, the, the bookers or the creative team ever really knew what they had with these talents. Yeah. And I, besides that, Jarrett Vampiro match from a couple weeks ago. This might be the best match we've seen so far uh, throughout these 11 episodes. I loved this match. Um, One thing that I was told was that they never wanted these matches to break for commercial and come back in the same match. They're afraid people would change the channel. But I had no idea that it was such a recent thing that they were okay with uh, keeping the matches going longer, which I like. I kind of missed it. I would have watched this match double what they had well you say that but aren't you glad bam bam bigelow and the wall didn't go two segments (laughs) yeah that was all right with me (laughs) in the back total package and flair celebrate their hogan beatdown i know you're done with him we laid out hogan ready for uncensored was that 
sweet or what? Elsewhere, an aggravated Arn runs into Kurt Haining backstage. Anderson says this business is nothing like it used to be and that he's going home to see his kids. Good luck tonight. I don't know if I'll be back or if I'll Where be you going? Where are you going? I'm going home to see my kids. Somewhere else backstage, Silver King and El Dandy are seen for the first time this year reading fan mail from an overflowing mail sack. I'm guessing it was someone else's mail. Miss <laughs> Hancock approaches to ask about the fan mail. Silver King says that they are the most desirable men in Mexico. Mommy, puedo estrechar tu entrepierna? What? Do we not excite your groin? Excite my groin? <sighs> this is a weird particular pet peeve that I have that they have these women do these like business women gimmicks and then don't have them wear like pantyhose like they don't go all out like i felt like she was just <laughs> bare leg running around with like a hot topic skirt and i was like can we get an outfit that is like convincingly sexual and classy because right now it's like uh ah, my sister lent me a bunch of her business casual clothes i don't know i'm sexy so so you want to run around in a hillary clinton pantsuit yeah, like I just want a little more effort. But if we're going to be like this disgusting to her, like let her look so crisp and so classy that when she's horrified, it actually has weight. Whereas like you feel like, yeah, and then she got on a bus and a bunch of guys like leaned up against her and she's like, well, this is my life. Like it's so, it's just kind of sad and gross. Uh, it is now time for our main event, Bam Bam Bigelow versus The Wall. Our main event. <laughs> These two exchange in some punches for about 30 seconds before The Wall handcuffs Bam Bam to the corner and referee Mickey J calls for the bell, DQing The Wall. Bigelow's going to get handcuffed to the turnbuckle here. And he is. Out comes David Jaffney and Crowbar, and Mickey J has thrown this match out. The actual match itself was only about 20 seconds. It was still maybe the worst thing on the show. Daphne is then heard yelling, and we then cut to the aisle to show that Crowbar and David Flair are there wearing matching neck braces. (laughs) Crowbar enters the ring uh, and attacks the wall with a pipe. However, the wall responds by ripping off Crowbar's neck brace and chokeslamming him. David Flair then runs in, and he gets the exact same treatment. Bam Bam screams for the key to his handcuffs as the wall chokeslams David Flair off the apron and onto Crowbar, who's on a table down below. Not this! He's not gonna do no more now! Sarah, I know you're disappointed this didn't go three segments, but I gotta say, in terms of being a nice, chaotic scene to make the wall look aggressive, this was not half bad. I hate to say it, so far tonight's Nitro, we got two back-to-back good segments in my book. Who had the keys? Uh, that's a good question, because we never saw him get unlocked. Uh, it would've been great if Bam Bam had just been in the corner all night. Yeah, just like, excuse me, sorry, sorry, excuse me, I apologize. I just love that this is like the conclusion of this big bomb that was dropped the week before where we found out Bam Bam Bigelow was the wall's mentor. Yeah. And this was the resolution to that big nugget of truth that, that we were exposed to last week. Like, Oh, oh no, uh, no, 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 Nate, this is not the conclusion. The conclusion is a three minute match at uncensored in six days. <laughs> so glad we don't do those pay-per-views. Um, I thought David Flair was looking good. This must have been the first time you've ever seen David Flair. Yeah, it was like, uh, well, it's also like this era. I don't see a lot of people from this particular because, you know, you see a lot of like Flair back in the day and Flair now, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's that like I'm I'm having a lot of little puzzle pieces put into place for me. But, yeah, I hadn't really seen David Flair before. And I was like, you know what? Good on you, buddy. And that's my two cents. 
All three <laughs> mid-card members of the Elite NWO then make their way to the ring. Uh, before we even get started, uh, Sarah, I just got to apologize that this is your first exposure to the NWO. The first time you are ever <laughs> seeing this illustrious group in action are the fucking Harris Boys and Jeff Jarrett. Don't worry about that, because I'm getting my pieces filled in here and there. So I, I've seen some good NWO stuff. I have a wolf pack wolf that somebody sent me for Christmas on my bookshelf. Like, I'm okay with this. <laughs> the Harris boys want to send the biddies to the back, but Jeff Jarrett calls the girls back in the ring and asks the crowd if they want to see some skin. However, this is just him setting up some good old-fashioned wrestling heat, and Jarrett says no way and sends him to the back. Jarrett then plays a supercut of all of his best guitar shots on Sid Vicious while images of Mike Graham dance in my head. He broke 6,000 guitars, never drew a dime. Jarrett reveals that tonight the Harris boys will face Sid and a partner if he can find one. This brings out world champion Sid, who wants to set three things straight. Three things that I will now repeat to you verbatim, as that is exactly how you should hear them. Great. Number one. He's going to stretch Jeff Jarrett's mouth eight feet wide and slip his slap nuts straight in. So much extra room. Number two, Jeff doesn't have Sid's number. He never had Sid's number. He won't get Sid's number, but there's only one number he should keep in mind, and that's 911. And number three, his partner tonight is Vampiro. <laughs> Vampiro then comes out and adds to this masterclass in promos by begging Jarrett to, quote, stick that slap nuts face in my match. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Sid Vicious is our world champion in the year 2000. I uh, I had to be brought up to speed about slap nuts, and I still don't feel like I... <laughs> like, did we just land on a phrase that we liked? Is that what happened? I mean, to be fair, though, slap nuts, like, it wasn't... If you smell what the rock is cooking, it wasn't, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. It wasn't even to be the man, you got to beat the man. But Slap Nuts had a modicum of overness back in 2000. There were a lot of Slap Nuts signs. I also noticed that in 2000 on Raw and Nitro, there were a lot more signs. Like, I don't know if people are just, everyone's bringing their iPads now. Well, this is before they like people weren't confiscating signs. Yeah, I don't know about you, Nate. I used to bring uh, wrestling signs when I would go to nitros when I was a kid. I might have even brought a slap nut sign, which we'll talk about in the future uh, <laughs> on one of these episodes. But the fact that you had a sign at a wrestling show, just being around a TV camera, like seems special. But now in social media, like yeah. it just it doesn't seem as a unique an opportunity when I can fire off, you know. 20 thoughts about a match while I'm watching it at home on my couch. I think that's another reason why signs just don't seem as big a deal anymore. There is, though, that I think still the draw of grabbing a screen grab from the network with your sign on it. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's never fully going to die out because we always have that. Nate, did you ever uh, bring a sign to a wrestling show? I did. As a matter of fact, I went to uh, one of the World War Threes in Norfolk at the scope. And I think it was the one where Randy Savage won the battle Royal to, I think become WCW world champion. And my buddy and I had a sign, like he had his sign cause he was a big Hogan fan. And I had my sign cause I was a big stink fan. And, and like my sign, Wait, I what, had, you're a stink, you're a stink fan. I mean, it's shocking. I, I know, but You've never mentioned it before. I, I was a fan of that man called sting. And so I'd cut out all these pictures from WCW magazine. It was like, uh, Norfolk Sting Country, I believe, was my was was the lettering <laughs> on the side, and and the highlight of this excursion was well, besides uh, getting gypped 
from the cable company who was supposed to give us free tickets, but then we had to end up uh, going to a scalper right outside the building to get tickets. Uh, we saw Mean Gene. He was like in the concourse eating a hot oh. dog. And so me and my buddy were like a couple rows up above the concourse. We're like, Mean Gene! Mean Gene! Mean Gene! And, and he's like kind of looking around and then he just goes back to eating his hot dog. Like, mean Gene! Mean Gene! And he looks up and he like tips his hot dog to us as a sign of affirmation. <laughs> and, and like for the rest of the night, we're like, man, did you see what Mean Gene like noticed us and tipped his hot dog? That was so cool. That's so classy. I'm replacing the phrase tip of the hat to tip of the hot dog in my lexicon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I brought a wrestling sign to Extreme Rules in Chicago a couple years ago, and it said, Lana and Rusev, please kiss. And it was before they were engaged, and it was like everyone knew they were dating, but they didn't acknowledge it in the mm-hmm. ring. And I just thought, maybe they'll look up and see the sign, and they will. And they didn't. <laughs> but uh, a couple weeks after that, Dolph Ziggler and Lana kissed, so <laughs> in the back crowbar and david flair are loaded into an ambulance while bam bam bigelow challenges the wall to a match it uncensored elsewhere mean gene makes his first of many appearances of the evening with harlem heat 2000 stevie says that they'll make short order of the disco inferno tonight and that kidman better watch his back this evening because booker can't be trusted jay biggs your thoughts if it's slithers if it's slimy you know what it is it's a snake Kidman, you better watch out for Booker. He's nothing but a low-down, nasty snake. Uh, Nate, remember a few weeks ago uh, when this uh, roidy freak caught the eye of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger at the Arnold Classic? Yes, I do. I I remember it vividly. Well, it turns out this young man has a name, and it is Big Jakes, and he is here to stay. The world-famous Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff is the trainer and recruiter for the WCW Power Plant. Paul Orndorff is shown scouting Big Jakes at the Arnold Classic. Orndorff then offers Big Jakes a power plant contract on the spot. I want to know one thing. Are you interested in becoming a wrestler for oh, WCW? Yeah, you, you know what the power plant's all about? Well, let's go. What I want to find out is to see what kind of speed, what kind of agility, your strength, see some of your coordinations to see what you got. If you got all those things and you got the heart, then maybe we'll put you on paper. Orndorff is literally coming in his pants, begging this guy to come sign with WCW. (laughs) After the package, Madden says that he smells money. This was the last time Big Jax was ever seen on television. That's my biggest question, though, because, I I mean, I was not enthralled with Arnold or uh, this physical specimen or even Paul Orndorff, wonderful as he may be. But my thing was, I kept trying to figure out what was his name. Because, like, some people were saying Jake. Some people were saying Jace, like J-A-C-E. I I couldn't figure out, like, what was this dude's real name? I was like, it has to just be Big Jake. And, like, is it possessive in some way? Is there a word afterwards? And that's why. And then, no, like, I I think they, like, show his headshot at one point. It's just, it says Jake's. Big Jake's (laughs) apparently having these massive fucking paint can arms isn't memorable enough. He's got to have a plural first name. Oh, man. What did uh, Marty was calling it, like, imagine lat syndrome or something? <laughs> I Also, I hope that Vince doesn't go back and watch some of these old... Because he'll he's going to call this guy up and try to sign him. Yeah. <laughs> he's so big. Big Jake's going to get inducted to the Hall of Fame next year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, g- gender who? Yeah. <laughs> He's going to have to go by Jinder's Mahals. <laughs> <laughs> Our next match is Booker and Kidman against Lane and Idol. 
On the way out, Lane and Idol pose with female fans long enough to label them as not a rat. <laughs> that was inappropriate. I was like, I heard him mouthing rat, and I was like, what are they doing? And then I was like, well, I guess progress is slow. Well, I don't know which is worse, and I'm going to open the floor for debate here. Last week's show, they labeled a woman in the audience as a rat. This week, they labeled a woman as not a rat. Which is worse? Oh, man. I feel like labeling them not not a rat is slightly worse because it sounds like they're (laughs) negging them. Right. But but maybe maybe they're like, man, this this woman over here brought – I see you're holding a Gutrid Stein book. She's clearly not going to be down with what we're throwing out here. I just don't (laughs) feel like they're that (laughs) self-aware. Oh, uh, that, that would be great, though. That would be great if they're like, she has such fine moral character and fiber. She she is certainly not a rat. She is a Persian cat. Now leave her alone. How great of a payoff would that have been if all this time we thought that Miss Hancock was, like, trying to have a three-way with them, and then it turns out she actually just wants to, like, teach them a little about, about like, intersectional feminism and stuff like that, and they get super woke after this? Oh, my God. I would have <laughs> loved that, obviously. <laughs> The bell rings, and Miss Hancock makes her way out to the announcer's table, ensuring that no one will pay attention to the match. Hancock gets on commentary and explains that she's scouting Kidman. This, of course, gets the ire of Tori, who tells her that Kidman is taken. Tony then apologizes for ignoring the match, while Madden admits that he's only here for the women. Booker hits an axe kick to Lane, followed by a spinneroonie. Booker then goes up to the top for missile dropkick, but Kidman rolls up Lane for the pin, upsetting Booker. After the match, Booker and Kidman argue. Madden asks why the two of them just can't get along. And Tony responds with the most prophetic statement of the entire night. Why can't we all just get along? Because of WCW, which stands for we can't work together. <laughs> so, yes, this was uh, this was our weekly Stacey Keebler segment where we're just going to oogle her and Madden's going to ask her to sit in his lap. The real disappointing thing was that this was also our only use of Booker and Kidman, who every single week are the go-to workhorses. Um, I had never seen Booker wrestle before. I've only seen him shucky ducking on the Raw table. And <laughs> oh, so you have no idea why this guy's important. I was like, oh my god, he's so good. And that was another one I was like, we could have let him wrestle a little bit longer. Uh, for my money's worth. Uh, Mark Madden is such a creep. And you know what? I feel like Tony Schiavone's doing a good job, and I, I feel like that would be a frustrating position to be in. And uh, everything Mark Madden said made me want to be like, oh, just, like, he needs some, like, his aunt to just call him up and be like, what are you doing? I'm not going to leave you any money if you keep talking like this. <laughs> I see. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, Brian, that somebody has concurred with us on the uh, character. Make sure we uh, emphasize that. The character of Mark Madden on this show. Is he nice in real life? Oh, I, I don't believe so. I, uh, <laughs> no, no, no comment. <laughs> no comment. Uh, someone might have threatened legal action uh, for us confusing his on-screen character and the actual person. Uh, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> though I, I, Why is this has, not surprising? There have been a few very dandy tweets from the man where he has made jokes about uh, his followers' wives blowing him when they upset Ew. him. Yeah. He's he's a he's a great guy is what we're saying. Mark Madden A plus. <laughs> oh man. Luger and Henning make their way down for a singles match, but before things can get uh, started, an ambulance pulls up outside 
and outstorms a shirtless Hulk Hogan who has stolen an ambulance. Hulk Hogan stole an ambulance! I told you, they're still in the ring! What do you mean they're still in the ring? They're still in the ring! Come on, you got them! Well, if he stole an ambulance, he should be arrested! In the ring, Kurt sends Lex into the turnbuckle, followed by chops and a snapmare. Liz gets on the apron, allowing Luger to sneak attack from behind. 20 seconds later, Luger is just gassed, so Henning gets back on offense. Flair then runs down and grabs Henning, DQing Luger since Luger was out of moves anyway. Hogan then runs in to make the save. Hogan, fresh off of committing a felony, says that he and Henning will tag against Team Package later. (laughs) So we got to see it up close and personal. Uh, Lex Luger is our rusted-out Ferrari. Just looking like shit here. I have no idea what you're supposed to get out of him. Maybe put him in a tag team at this point, but a singles match, even with a guy like Kurt Henning... Uh, this guy was just worthless in this match. Um, just chugging along. And and how were we supposed to give a fuck following the felony that Hulk Hogan just committed stealing <laughs> an ambulance? Oh, that was so great. Like now, I just want to see because ambulances have been pretty pretty hot in, in the wrestling world the last few months. I want to see Hulk Hogan and Braun Strowman at WrestleMania next year. <laughs> Don't say it. They'll do it. They'll do it. I like the evergreen nature of a good ambulance. <laughs> always relevant always good i made the mistake of uh i think it was oh gosh it was like two months ago uh right before wrestlemania i was watching all this like randy savage miss elizabeth stuff and uh then i was like well then what happened what happened to them and so i only recently found out like how she died and the whole like i read her wikipedia page the other day so I couldn't watch this and feel, like, okay about any of it. I was just like, oh, guys. Yeah, that's the thing with Nate and I doing this show is that we pretty much have to say that anything that happened after the year 2000, we shouldn't talk about in any of these people's lives, unfortunately. Yeah, you have to cut it out because I was, like, <laughs> just so, like, I'm going to pause the match and just get caught up. Oh, God, what did I do? <laughs> Elsewhere, Brian Knobs finds the dog drinking from a toilet. Anything you two want to add? Who's the dog? <laughs> Nate, I'm going to let you handle this one. Oh, uh, well, the dog, his real name is Al Green, uh, which just makes me sad to have this man associated with the great soul singer. Uh, <laughs> and Al Green was a friend of Kevin Nash's, right, Brian? Yes. Yes. And then that is... Pretty much the entire basis for his appointment. <laughs> and uh, we've been watching this thing with Finley and Brian Knobs, and the whole time they've been trying to take out three count. And they're like, we've got a special surprise for you. We've got a secret weapon to take you out. And it was supposed to be Sabu. But uh, rational heads <laughs> prevailed, and Sabu said, I'm not going anywhere near this company. And uh, mm-hmm. we're stuck with Al Green as a character named the dog who is a man that thinks he's a dog. Seriously, for like, what is witnessing a man drink out of a toilet supposed to make us feel? Is it supposed to, like, am I supposed to want to watch this guy wrestle? Like, I get the gimmick that he is an actual dog, but, but, but why? He'll do anything, man. Like, that's, like, I, I know, you know, whether you're talking about wrestling or the media or any job, you know, any workplace, there are things your boss asks you to do that uh, you don't want to do, but you do anyway to stay gainfully employed. Mm-hmm. I might have had to draw the line at this if I were Al Green. Now, how old would you say Al Green was at this point in his career? 
Ooh, old enough to know better. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking, like, you know, I've been on this planet a good solid 30 years, and I feel like there's no point where I would have been like, yeah, I'll drink out of a toilet. And I feel like he's definitely older than me, and the experience to say no to that just isn't there. Let's see here. Al Green. Ooh, Al Green was uh, 45. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I feel like now I could pull up a list of like 45 year olds who are like crushing it and doing really well. But like, why? He's already drinking out of the toilet. He should have known better. <laughs> we go back to our Nitro party where the boys from Three Count are judging a Nitro Guys contest. Uh, apparently they're dancing for them. Uh, Disco dances for Three Count, uh, who gives him all zeros. Exactly what I would give this segment. Yeah. You know what? I just feel like Three Count got a got a raw deal having to do these parties. <laughs> it's weird because... They're not really used to their full potential. Like, they're actually a really solid gimmick that you can do a lot of fun stuff with. But it just felt like the people at WCW never really understood what to do with these characters. Well, I think a lot of times they were given the old dogs as much mic time as they could possibly handle and probably more when they could have divided it up a little bit more and let some of these younger guys who could really, like, gather themselves and come up with, like, a good storyline amidst all the chaos... But, you know, that didn't happen. As far as I can tell from one episode, I'm an expert now. (laughs) (laughs) Oakland interviews Sid backstage. Vicious treats us to that yell, whisper goodness that he denied us earlier in the evening. Uh, See, there's nothing else to say. Jared and Uncensored, I will own you. But tonight, I'm going to take out your sneak revenge on the Hash Brothers. Now, Vampiro, if you want to join in, it's okay, but you got to understand one thing, that I will be the first in line to get my share of those two guys. For it will be the final nail in the coffin. No! It'll be the powerbomb! I actually said, why was he yelling one second, and now I can't hear what he's saying? <laughs> And then I was informed by Marty that that's that's a thing like that's and then it made me feel good because I was like, cool, I picked up on the pattern right away. <laughs> I, I love Sid Vicious's promo style. I know like it's objectively it's not the best, but it's just something about how when he whispers, he enunciates every syllable in the <laughs> word and makes it so intelligible. But then when he yells, he, just, he forgets all about his consonants and his vowels, and you can't understand a word he's saying. It's like, oh, Sid Vicious, why? you were too good for this world. I want to know, what, who was the fucking old-timer that took him aside and told him, this is how you cut a promo? <laughs> like, did Harley Race one day in, like, 1984 tell him, okay, this is exactly how you're supposed to talk? And he, he, he never changed it. He never went anywhere else with it ever. I would love it if that was like a joke that somebody took him aside and was like, watch what I'm going to tell him. And he'd be so loud and so quiet and nothing in between. Go get him, Sid. And Sid was like, great. That's the one thing that's going to stick for me for the rest of my career. If it was a joke, he laughed all the way to the bank. Yeah. Wait, you're saying Sid laughed all the way to the bank? Sid Vicious made money. Is he applying for a job at the bank? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, that'd be great. Are you applying for a home loan? We've got lots of rates here, but you can only sign once. I I lost my momentum. I'm I'm no Sid Vicious, people. 
Hey, as long as they don't put them on like the drive-through uh, teller. That... All right, let me take your order. And then know what I have for you? I have a cheeseburger. Pull <laughs> around the second window. Oh, that see that that was much better. That was much better. I just wanted to take a stab at it because it sounded so fun. The dog makes it his is, way it's out. It's really fun, Brian. Attempt to explain this gimmick. Tony thinks that the dog is a man who thinks he's a canine, while Madden believes that he is legitimately a shaved dog. <laughs> The dog has a protective hood on, so his opponent, Norman Smiley, does the big wiggle on him. Nobbs then takes the leash off the dog, who attacks the ref, instead of Norman. This brings in the demon, who attacks Nobbs. This then causes Lenny and Idol to come out and attack the demon. Meanwhile, Norman pulls the dog off of the ref, slaps on a Norman Conquest for the win. The dog then bites the leg of referee Scott Dickinson, who we're informed by the announcers has a day job as a mailman. What a fucking payoff, guys. <laughs> the dog then chases Norman backstage. Um, wow, guys. This, there was a lot to take in. There was a lot to take in here. It was all shit. And I get that the gimmick of, hey, he's biting a mailman is funny. But how low rent does it make you look that your referee has a day job? And it's and he's a government <laughs> employee. <laughs> He probably made more money as a mailman than as a referee. Yo, I'm sure he did. Can you imagine if they revealed on uh, Raw one week that, like, Scott Armstrong is a social worker during the day? I mean, oh. I wouldn't be surprised that uh, when you make your way up through the ranks, you gotta you gotta make your money somewhere. Now, the promotion I work for, one of the referees is a cop. And no one's That's, ever bitten him. <laughs> that should be a new series. Like, see what the what the, the secret lives of referees are. Like, I want to spend a day with Lil Nate's Charles Robinson. I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit for you guys. Lil Nate, the worst fucking dresser I have ever met. Like, what kind of clothes? You know, the bedazzled shirts and the bedazzled jean shorts uh, and the collars that go all the way up to your ears. <laughs> that is Lil Nate for you during his downtime. The man is styling and profiling, Brian. However, this segment was not over yet. Brian Knobs grabs a mic and demands a hardcore fight. In the back, Terry Funk is shown walking to the ring. Terry Funk and Brian Knobs then hit each other with weapons for five minutes until Shannon Moore and Evan Courageous interfered, allowing Funk to pin Knobs. Uh, that's really all you need to know because there was no real drama no. in this match. Uh, all the drama came afterwards when Terry Funk, with a raw chicken on his fist, began <laughs> punching three count. This leads to Terry Funk and Nobbs, who just beat the shit out of each other for five minutes, teaming up and destroying Three Count. Now Funk and Nobbs have made up. They're beating up Three Count with a chicken. Tony, did you ever in your life think you'd call a match that involved a dead chicken? No, but then again, it's WCW, so you don't know what to expect. Right, here comes Dustin Rhodes out of the crowd right in front of us. We're not over yet. Dustin Rhodes and runs in out from the crowd with a cowbell and beats on Funk while Knobs brawls with three count to the back. The crowd then chants bullshit to end this segment. Uh, all of this was awful. This was the Russian nesting doll of shit. This started with the dog and ended with Terry Funk and a raw chicken on his fist. Uh, everything positive I said about the end of the, at the beginning of the show has now been completely thrown out the window. Well, to make matters worse, I was watching this on a Friday night, and it was a long day of work, and this was the part where I dipped and got a little drowsy and felt like I was in a fever dream. And, like, when I went back to watch it, I was like, no, all of that happened. That was not me dreaming. This was all real and confusing, and uh, here we are, all together on the satellite. <laughs> 
Uh, man, this always makes me sad, and I, I say it every week, but Terry Funk, another guy they don't know how to utilize. Like, this is a dude that, at this stage of his career in 2000, he should be their version of The Undertaker, for lack of a better comparison. Like, he should mm-hmm. be a special attraction. He should be somebody that you only see a handful of times a year because he's this legend. But, no, we've we've got him out here in this nothing segment, punching dudes with raw chicken and probably spreading salmonella. So, yeah, I, I was not a fan. Yeah, I feel no. like if you want to make him that, you almost you make him your hardcore Undertaker. And, and maybe he still he wrestles every month. Maybe he is on every pay-per-view, but he should be having these kind of matches every week. And maybe no, you could save even, them. Save you could maybe even still have him on each uh show. Like maybe he's still there, maybe he takes some he takes a beating, maybe he does like a crazy hardcore stunt, but you build up that every single month this Terry Funk match is going to be balls to the wall. It is going to be insane and and who knows what Terry Funk's going to do, you know, this month. How how's he going to uh raise his game? He's he's punching people with 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 food. That's where we're at now. He is food fighting. Dangerous food, but not dangerous in a fun way. Dangerous in a gross way. He, two months ago, he was brought in as this hardcore legend who was going to be our top babyface to whip the NWO in order, and now he's punching fucking Brian Knobs with a raw chicken. Well, a man who's a dog is like unleashed around the. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was oh, a I, lot. I'm glad they had taken Al Green out of here because if he was in gimmick, he would have tried to eat that raw chicken. <laughs> oh God! You know he would have done it too. Like yep. we've yeah. already seen. <laughs> we'll see how far he'll, he'll take this gimmick off a man's hand. <laughs> Backstage, Jarrett tells the Harris boys to go take care of business. Elsewhere, Fit Finley guarantees victory in his Falls Count Anywhere match with Vampiro at Uncensored. Finley says that he's going to pin him in the toilet and flush him like the garbage he is. Finley even cut this promo in the same restroom the dog was drinking out of, so at least we got our money out of the set here, guys. So do you flush garbage down the toilet, or do you throw it in the dumpster? Maybe that's how they do it in Ireland, which is not great for your plumbing, guys. (laughs) It is now time for World Heavyweight Champion Sid Vicious and Vampiro against the Harris Boys. Sid starts things off with one of the Harris boys. I don't know which one, and neither does Shivani. Sid dominates this mystery man before tagging in Vampiro. The Harris boys switch the momentum by double-teaming Vamp. The Harris boys then send Vamp to uh, the ropes for an H-bomb, and Sid tags Vamp's back. H-bomb is delivered to Vampiro, but he is no longer the legal man. Sid chokeslams one of the Harris's, powerbombs the other, and gets the pin. Uh, This was nothing special, but it didn't feature a run-in, which makes it special on this show. Nate, I, I, I can give them a little bit of praise uh, for getting Vampiro in this mix, but this is, it's upsetting. This is kind of the ceiling. Like, we're going to let Vampiro in the mix with the top guys, but he's going to get beaten down. He's going to be the guy who takes the offense. And can you think of a reason why he didn't just win the U.S. championship from, from Jeff a couple weeks ago? I mean, Jeff Jarrett is in the main event program. He's not defending the U.S. title. It's just sitting there around his waist. And Vampiro could really have used that win, and they had a good match. So why is Vamp just being second fiddle to Sid when we could have actually given him something a couple weeks ago? Yeah, that would have been really cool if they had gone ahead and pulled the trigger on that because then you could have almost had not something exactly the same as the Cruiserweight division back in 96, but you could have had like this United States Championship division and have a lot of these young guys like Kidman, like Booker, like Vampiro – fighting for this secondary belt and 
then that way you can elevate this younger talent. Like that would have been a really good move, which is uh, probably why they didn't do it because it, it was too much like, right. How often do you think about going back and fixing WCW? Uh, see, if I, if I was the flash Barry Allen, cause that's like one of my new favorite shows that Brian Mann hates on. Uh, <laughs> like if I were the flash and I could run back and change things in history, there's certain things I'd fix, you know, I'd take care of Hitler. I'd, uh, you know, fix slavery. Uh, then, the third thing on my list would be fixing WCW because there, <laughs> there are so many things in hindsight that you could change to this company, both small and large, that would have kept them in business. And, and it's like, man, every step of the way when they could have made the right choice, it seemed like they made the wrong choice. Yeah. And you're forgetting about the butterfly effect. If you had killed Hitler, we'd have no Harris brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, at least they wouldn't have their, their decorative tattoos. Back at the Liquid Lounge, Ricky Rackman and his leather print getup are all up in Three Counts business as they attempt to seduce college students. Ricky slips in a joke that would not fly in 2017 by suggesting that he might have been roofied. Maybe somebody put something in my drink, but these are the finest things in the whole place. They, okay, that's a weird moment. I watched it a couple times because he goes, I don't know if something if someone put something in my drink but these ladies are looking really good. Like, it was a weird, like, the ladies did look good, so why did he need to imply that he had been roofied to think yeah. they looked good? It was so confusing, and he wasn't even confident in it, and then he goes, what? And just kind of, like, ends the segment with, like, a noise. I was like, <laughs> what is... And that's the moment from the party that we get? And also, I, I, I'm no expert on, on roofies. Let me state that emphatically. <laughs> But I don't think that's what they do. I don't think they make people seem more attractive. No, I think they make it so that you're very tired and suggestible and that you'll, you know, go somewhere with somebody, not look at a woman and go like, ooh, yum, yum, yum. I want to dance with her. Like, it's just incorrect factually. It's on the, like, the creep meters off the charts here. And then, and it's so dark and it just, the room looks like it stinks. Like, that seems like just such a bad, like, choice. Like, He's drinking. He's he. You know they they're serving alcohol, so he could have just said, mm, "Boy, this drink is making these ladies look rather fetching tonight." I don't know why Ricky Rackman turned into somebody from the 1950s, but let's just <laughs> go with it. But like, the, you didn't have to go to that next step, Ricky Rackman, of saying somebody slipped me a Mickey, and that's why these women look attractive. Or he can just say, like, these women are attractive. Like, they are looking yeah, yeah. hand over fist better than him. You're trying to entice people to come to these nitro parties. You don't want to be like, hey, come on down. You got to get fucking drunk to think these women are attractive. And three counts here. <laughs> and then they show them, and they're, like, perfect. And uh, I'm going to say it. Not the most charismatic host of the party. <laughs> Oakland interviews Team Package. Luger calls Sting a coward for once again not being here. Flair says that it might as well be uncensored now. Back in the arena, Stevie Ray comes out, accompanied by a sadly unmemorable Big T and Cash. Neither of them did anything to ridicule this week, Nate. They're, they're not earning their $400,000. <laughs> in the back, Disco tells the Mamelukes to not come out until he gives them the sign. As soon as Disco leaves, the Harris boys jump the Mamelukes. Disco gets in the ring and motions for the Mamelukes to come out, but they never show. Disco then gets on the mic, and he made Bill O'Reilly proud with one of the most casually racist promos I've heard in wrestling history. Oh, my God. Nah, 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 gonna have a good time. Hey, hey, hey. 
Now you see this here borders on total stupidity. Listen, you three fat Alberts. As if you didn't know, I'm a manager. I am not a wrestler. But what I got for you tonight is something special. J.J. Walker, you picked the two best ones J. J. Walker, out of these name. three clowns. And Big Vito and Johnny the Bull are going to come out here tonight and put the tag team titles on the line. And it's going to be Dino Mine. What do we think of this promo from Disco Inferno? <laughs> are we supposed to feel sympathy for him when he's getting beat up for three guys? Because I think he's getting what he deserves. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was so glad is, to see him get his ass kicked. Yeah, well, that's the problem with Disco and this whole Mama Luke's thing. Like, week to week, we've talked about it before, Brian, they they switch allegiances based on their opponents. So, like, one week they're the default baby faces and one week they're the default heels. But with this, I tried to give Disco the benefit of the doubt. Like, maybe he was doing a critique on the tense relationship between African-Americans <laughs> and Italian-Americans that has existed <laughs> in, in our country's past. But no, it's like why? Like why would you go to this? This like it didn't even make sense for for this heel manager to be mocking this other heel team. It, it, besides being like just classless and and uh, you know tiptoeing up to the line of racism, it 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 uh, it wasn't something that made sense in a in a context of this wrestling show. No, I think during the entire promo, I kept going, ugh, ugh, no. <laughs> However, it does make sense in the context of Disco Inferno's Twitter feed in 2017. <laughs> Yikes! Oh, 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 no! On commentary, Jay Big says that Harlem Heat is mad because Stevie beat Booker for the right to Harlem Heat, and they haven't gotten a tag title shot since. Quick fact check, uh, it was Big T who beat Booker for the Harlem Heat rights, <laughs> and they did receive a tag team title shot two weeks ago. This match comes to an end when Stevie pins Disco after a flapjack. So, yes, uh, not really a match, more so just uh, Disco getting a beatdown that he rightfully earned. Yeah, I was happy to see him get his ass kicked because I had a weird vibe about that guy for the whole Nitro party. And then when he came out and started talking, I was like, fuck him. (laughs) Though, I mean, Jay Biggs, this guy has been a bright spot for this team. Maybe the only positive thing you can say about Harlem Heat 2000. I would not want to hire him to be my lawyer if he can't even remember tag team title shots. No, Jay Biggs has been great, like so great that I've thought at times like he should have been the guy sitting next to Shivani because he couldn't have done any worse than Mark Madden. But uh, yeah, he you know he got his facts mixed up, or or maybe he was just presenting alternative facts. Brian, man, I don't know why <laughs> you want to slander the name of Jay Biggs, Esquire. Mean Gene Okerlund talks to the other half of tonight's main event: Kurt Henning and Hulk Hogan. Henning says that he and Hogan teaming is the best thing in wrestling history. Hogan then makes no fucking sense for 30 seconds. Yep. Well, you know, who would ever thought, but this makes a lot of sense, brother. You know, uncensored six days away. Who would ever thought that in Providence, it's uncensored tonight? Because you know something? When you turn Henning loose, when you turn Hogan loose, and when Hart is watching your back, it's definitely going to be uncensored. And we're going to do some serious scrapation tonight, brother, with a strap on those two chunks. Put me uncensored tonight. It is uncensored tonight. So I'm going to turn in Providence. Thank you. We know this guy doesn't like second takes, but this might have been the worst promo I've ever heard him cut. <laughs> it was not good. It was like I thought that Flair was doing a pretty good job do- being the worst promo maker in this episode, but it was just like, where are we going, bud? I, I get that like Hogan is using his creative claws to be on top. If you're 50-year-old Hulk Hogan and you still got to be in the fucking spotlight, okay. 
but break a sweat. Do a second take. Don't just sleepwalk through this thing. Actually, maybe set an example for someone else. And not just that, maybe sell some fucking pay-per-view so you make more damn money. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem like he gave a fuck at all. No, this is certainly a, a step back from his epic promo last week when, you know, he talked about the strap master Jimmy Hart. Like, yeah. this is certainly, we, we, we've fallen off the cliff. That's the other thing. This guy hasn't been to work in a fucking month. He's been t- mailing these tapes in, and this is the best he can do. <laughs> it's, uh, it's promo rust. It is now time for our main event, which means it is time yes. for the Hogan Bump Challenge. Now, Sarah, what the Hogan Bump Challenge is, it's where we wager how many bumps we think professional wrestler Hulk Hogan will take in a professional wrestling match. <laughs> Now, this was a tag team match, but it was a main event as well, and it is the go-home show. He's got to sell some tickets, heat up this uncensored pay-per-view. So, you're our guest. We'll let you go first. How many bumps do you think Hulk Hogan took in this match? Oh, man, that's hard to say. Um, uh, Can I just say three? (laughs) Okay, you're saying three. Nate, what's Mm -hmm. your wager? Mm, I think Sarah might have already fallen into the trap of a rookie mistake because uh, you would think being a professional wrestler, bumping would be part of the job description. Uh, But as Brian and I have observed these past few weeks, uh, that does not apply to one Terry Bollea. So I'm going to go a little bit lower, Brian, and say, because he usually does give Luger at least one bump. Uh, I'm going to say two bumps for, for good old Hulk. You know what? Part of me wants to say one. But fuck him. He cut a bad promo. I'm going to say he takes not a single bump in this match. He's in there with Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning can do a lot of work for both of them. (laughs) Hogan and Luger start things off with Hogan chopping Luger in the corner. Henning tags in, chops Lex in the corner, but runs into Luger's boot. Flair then tags in, chops Henning, who reverses and chops Henning back. Flair is whipped into the corner and he does the Flair flip. Flair then begs off Kurt and tags Luger in. Kurt tags in Hogan and Luger gets an advantage by reversing an Irish whip. Lex then kicks Hogan, but does the Hulkster take a bump? No, he gingerly stumbles into the corner. On commentary, Madden says that Hogan should be in jail for stealing an ambulance. Tony defends the Hulkster by saying, we don't know, maybe they let him borrow it. That's not a service that hospitals provide, by the way. No. Flair tags in and chops away on the Hulkster. Flair hits a low blow, but does Hogan take a bump? No, he goes to one knee and then rolls over onto his back. <laughs> Flair and Hogan do a double clothesline spot, leading to Hogan's first bump of the match. Hey. Lex and Hogan then crawl to their corners, and both men get the tag. The ref sends Hogan out of the ring as Liz hands Luger a baseball bat. With the ref distracted by Hogan, Luger uh, nails Henning with the bat. Hogan then comes in the ring, making quick work of Flair and Luger. Hogan goes to take his belt off, but the ref stops him. Hogan then shoves the ref, who promptly DQs the Hulkster. What a great way to end this match, guys. As the bell rings, Elizabeth runs in and whacks Hogan's knee with the belt. Team Package are stomping away on Hogan when all the lights are cut off. With limited visibility, we are barely able to make out that Vampiro enters the ring and beats on Flair. The lights come back on, and out comes Sting to attack Luger. Lex flees to the back, and Sting stands tall in the ring. Um... Team package won by DQ, but fuck, was this, again, another lazy, messy finish? I don't know why Vampiro had to be out here. 
This DQ was the... <laughs> why could we not just DQ when the bat got involved? Why did it need to be Hulkster taking off his belt? Was Hulkster just so, like, paranoid that he wouldn't be involved in the finish? This was just... I hated this. Also, when the lights went out, it felt like a mistake a little bit. Like, the way it was handled was in a yes. weird, like, not... Like, the audience isn't being taken care of. It's kind of like, oh, did somebody just lean against a switch? Or, like, what's going on right now? It didn't, yeah, it didn't feel like it was intentional. It, it felt like somebody hit the wrong switch at the Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> Center, and then they're like, oh, yeah, shit, somebody turned the lights back on. So, yeah, I I didn't like this match at all, uh, particularly since uh, I didn't win the Hogan Bump Challenge this week. I uh, think you did. Well, no, I guess I was closest. Because he only took one. So, I, yeah, one, yeah, Sarah and I were, were both over. Yeah, I gave him a lot of credit. You, you gave him me. way too much credit. <laughs> Um, here's something that I noticed throughout the entire episode. They mentioned in the commentary, like, oh, Hulk's recovering from a broken arm. No, no, it's not his arm. It's his shoulder. That's his problem right now. Uh, it seemed like a large percentage of people had or were recovering from or. Were <laughs> oh, yes. Who's breaking all these arms? Lex Luger has broken half of the roster's wrists because this Sunday... Was it Lex Luger? It was Lex Luger did it because this Sunday, uh, Luger and Sting will have a match. Sorry, the total package The total package, you're right. Excuse me. Uh, I that. I was like, what are we doing? No, uh, yeah, this Sunday it will be the total package and Sting in a Lumberjack cast match, meaning that they will be there will be Lumberjacks surrounding the ring and all of them will have casts on. Because that's how many arms have been broken in the two-month build-up to this match. Is it were they all really broken arms, or did they add a couple to like bolster it? Uh, no, there are some people that just like uh, put casts on to to yeah. fill, to fill it out. But there was enough that he was just he shouldn't have been breaking that many arms. And, I'll, go, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. <laughs> so that is just one of the many matches that are going to be at this Sunday's uncensored card. This was the go-home show, and uh, did this get either of you guys excited to watch the show? Because I think when this was over, I, like the vast majority of the viewers of this product, would choose not to order that pay-per-view that Sunday. No, what I did was I went over and watched the competing Raw and got lost in there and was like, wow, what a better show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I was not excited for Uncensored, Brian, in part because this is not a good show on paper, and also because like Uncensored was something I actually liked when they first introduced the concept. Granted, you know, I was much more young and, and much more naive than I am today, and so I was like, wow, they're, 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 they're unsanctioned matches, they're, they're unscripted, they're going off the books. And, and, and uh, you know, we got the great concession stand brawl with Harlem Heat and the Nasty Boys. And, mm-hmm. like, I was, I was – and we had that uh, match with Dustin – was it Dustin Rhodes and the Blacktop the Bully? Blacktop you know, Bully. <laughs> on a flatbed. Yeah, King of the Road match going down the highway. Like, oh, I liked that first cool about that. Oh, it was such, such a – like, it, I'm not going to say it was a great show, but it was a fun show and a, a unique concept, I guess. But, yeah, this uncensored – uh, in 2000, I, I was not a fan of it all just because like the the lead up to it, the build has not been something that that excites me, even with the infamous Yappa Pie strap match. Yeah. Yeah. And as someone who's just jumping into this for the first time, it was the most challenging wrestling show I've ever watched. And like I've been to some pretty like jankety old indie shows and like there's, you know, some, some raws are just not very good, but this was like 
coming in not really knowing people usually doesn't concern me because I feel like I can get attached pretty easily to people who are like, you know, really selling the storyline or like really good on the mic. But this was just like a scrambled, like somebody just took all the vaguest ideas I had about wrestling and threw them together in a like martini shaker. Nate and I, we're watching these things. We've seen 11 of these episodes now. I think we, even we get confused sometimes. And for <laughs> me, it's because I have these extensive notes is the only reason why I can keep track of it. But yeah. no, it's it's a very difficult product to 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 watch. And I can't imagine how it was for you having zero uh, bearing on any of these characters. I was like nervous to talk about it because I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I, if I absorbed it. And I knew I was in and out like a couple times in the middle. Cause I was tired. So Marty sat down with me and we rewatched a bunch of matches. And I literally have a piece of paper in front of me where he like wrote down <laughs> the names of people for me. Cause I was like, I just don't want to show up and not understand. And then I find out that nobody understands. And you know what? Maybe I didn't do so bad after all. I love the idea of them sitting down and dissecting this particular episode like it's Citizen Kane. Like, just <laughs> We really wanted to do a good job. No, this was like if you studied for a test and you found you came in and no one else knew what the fuck the test was either. It was a relief. Nor did the teacher. <laughs> so I think it's pretty fair to say across the board we did not necessarily like this episode too much. But that doesn't stop us from having to have our silver lining. This is where we pick one thing completely unqualified that we think was good. No ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, Sarah, what was your silver lining for this episode? I mean, I really liked Three Count. And also, the fact that I didn't see Three Count get ruined or not utilized or anything like that. I just had this wonderful introduction. They had a great match. They were at the party, you know, doing their bits. And I was like, you know what? For this time and for what's going on, I think this is a perfect group of people, and I don't know any better, and I don't want to know any better. Mm, I think that Three Count Young Dragons match is a good choice, but I am going to go with the performer that, to me, was the most believable and passionate and realistic character on this show, and that is uh, our, our faithful commissioner, Arn Anderson. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Uh, it's really tough to turn your back. Even just the smallest little backstage saying he's going to go see his kids is great. Uh, you know, the yeah. fact that he can just throw his hands and say, I'm too old. I am too old for this shit. And it just sort of like says a larger thing about the world of this uh, of this Nitro as well. Uh, you teased it there a little bit, Nate. I got to say for me, it, it's the Young Dragons as a group. It was good seeing them together for the very yeah. first time. Uh, I, I love to see them uh, pushing... Uh, three performers of color, and uh, I thought that was just a, a great way to Yeah, highlight. I was going to say, so that, that means you're a... Uh, uh, all three of those Asian gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, that means you're a fan of cultural appropriation. <laughs> well, my backup silver lining is Disco Inferno's promo. <laughs> yeah, so, and yes. my backup silver lining is the dog. <laughs> so, Sarah, uh, thank you so much for stopping by, not just watching this episode, but also re-watching and doing some homework. I, I almost <laughs> feel like uh, we owe you back pay for everything that you did we we really I mean we really it. have to give credit to Human Encyclopedia Marty DeRosa because <laughs> every question that I ever have about wrestling he doesn't have to look it up he can like access at least enough to get us going on it and so anything that I didn't know he was able to fill in and it's mostly his handwriting on this piece of paper that I have Oh, no, we love Marty around here. We've already established that when Nate uh, stops watching after the Battle Bowl invasion that Marty is stuck doing the last uh, month of these shows with me. <laughs> so, Sarah, thank you so much for everything you did uh, to get ready for this episode. But, of course, th this isn't your only 
foray into wrestling podcast you you host your own which is incredibly funny <laughs> oh thanks so much yeah it's marty and sarah love wrestling on the mlw radio network and uh it drops every thursday and you know what i think i can announce it here we just got a new domain name we're like starting our website and we own protect the dot biz <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it bruce pritchard is gonna be so pissed that he doesn't have that <laughs> i know <laughs> Uh, but thank you for, for coming on. And, of course, everyone can find you on Twitter as well. Yeah, at Sarah Joy Shockey or at Marty Sarapod. Uh, it's a good chance you'll get me on either one of those. Great. So as we bid adieu to Sarah, we also bid adieu to you listening at home. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we know that uh, you love listening to our misery, each one of these uh, critical trials. And if this was uh, your first episode or maybe you're getting caught up, remember you can go to lo- – uh, Remember, you can go to lawradio.proboards.com for the entire back catalog binge them. That's how we designed them, was for you to be able to binge them. Uh, but until the next episode, you can keep following me on Twitter, on social media, on Instagram, on all of that stuff. I sound like a 50-year-old calling it social media. At Brian Maxman, that's where you can find me. And if you also want more Nate in your life, Nate, where can they find you with that weird Zs and numbers and everything you got going on? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at in the number eight M O Z A I K at Nate Mosaic, and we can talk sports, uh, politics, or wrestling. Or if uh, the Disco Inferno is listening, he can hit me up, and we can swap stories about old seventies African American uh, TV show themes. <laughs> I see uh, your good times, and I raise you at Jefferson's. If you do that, I request that it happen on this show. Uh, but yes, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, once again, we'll be back uh, before you know it uh, because, spoiler, uh, this episode of Nitro and the pay-per-view that followed would lead to some major shakeups in the company that we're going to discuss next week. Uh, but until then, Nate, let the people know what they need to hear while they count down those days. Yes, as we close the doors once again this week here on the Satellite of Eight, I want to thank everybody for uh, downloading the show and checking us out, and uh, we'll do it again in a couple weeks. And uh, again, shout out to Sarah for joining us uh, with this experiment this week. Uh, but thinking about Survivor, which was a show that premiered at this time or was being produced at this time, it brought me to Survivor the band, you know, and, and some of their wise words and, and how it connects and relates to WCW. So I'll leave you with this for this week, folks. So many nights in blind confusion, I've walked the line of love, and we reach out in disillusion when one night isn't nearly enough. Is this love that I'm feeling? Is this love that's been keeping me up all night? Is this love that I'm feeling? Tell me, WCW, is this love? Keep It 2000 is a live audio wrestling production. Executive produced by John Pollock and edited by Brian Mann. Theme song by Chris Urbanovitz. For more shows, check out liveaudiowrestling.com or subscribe on iTunes. Shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this, this, this.